So today is the one prat, the lunar observance day, and it's the fifteenth uh, um, day of the lunar month and the uh, full moon. And it's been one month since the beginning of the rains. So we can see that time passes very quickly. Um, it always moves, the seconds, the minutes, the hours, they're constantly um, passing away. And if we recollect or if we um, go back in time to the beginning of the rains retreat, it was just one month ago, it seems like it's passed very fast. We can recollect maybe many months ago or one year ago, or back to when we were born, whether that was 30 years, 40 years, 50, 60, 70, for some people, 90 years ago. But that time has passed very quickly. The Buddha said that our lives are like the dew on the tip of a blade of grass. And at night, with the cold, um, damp weather, then grass collects dew. But when the sun comes up and it sends its rays and it heats up the grass and the air, then in a very short time, the dew evaporates. So our lives are just like this. They're not long and soon they'll come to an end. And this ending, this fading, it's something that's natural. And it happens constantly. It's um, constantly fading every day. Just within the space of one week, um, many of the cells in our bodies are um, dying. And then as they die, new cells come to replace them. If we look at this, we normally take it as being a me and a mine. But if you see, or if you consider all of the cells that die in the space of one month, two months, three months, in the space of many years, these cells go, then how can we take this body as me? Now this thing has um, changed over, all the cells have replaced each other. But the mind goes and attaches, attaches to this new collection of cells and takes that as the same thing as what, as what it was, takes it as me and mine. So it's this delusion that's present in the mind that causes it to think in deluded ways, to um, think in terms of a self, to not be able to see the changing and constant nature of the bodies. So it's because there's a connection, because things um, connect up, that we don't see this changing nature. Just like the in-breath connects up with the out-breath. Um, or this is what happens with the cells as well, that they die and the new ones come and replace it. So there's this connection there and that um, stops us from seeing the um, changing nature of these conditioned phenomena, be they physical or mental. It's this continuity that obstructs um, impermanence and inconstancy. You can ask ourselves whether these bodies, these physical forms are a source of happiness or a source of pain for us. 
if we sit for a long time, will our bodies feel pleasurable? pleasurable? They'll be tired, won't they? They'll start aching. There'll be this weight there um, pressing on our veins and the blood won't be able to flow freely as it once could. And so then we'll feel like we need to change posture. And when we change posture, the body becomes pleasant again. So it's this changing of posture that obstructs the pain, the dukkha in the bodies. If we walk, we sit, we lie down, we do or we stand for a long time, um, will that be pleasant? Even lying down, some people think if they just get to lie down for a long time, that'll be a great source of happiness. But will it be that way? There are some people who have diabetes and they need to lie down for long periods. But because of that, um, the body starts developing sores and it's very difficult to treat these. So why is that? Why is there that, that pain? It's because these bodies are dukkhan, they're unsatisfactory. So it's this changing of posture, the changing, the moving of the body that obstructs its unsatisfactory or painful nature. If we separate this body out into its parts, into the four physical elements of earth, water, fire and air, um, and then we carry on separating out into even more detailed levels. So we carry on um, separating this, separating it until we get to atoms. And then we can separate atoms out into protons, electrons, neutrons. And then as we carry on um, separating that, we'll find that there's nothing there at all. Or we can view this body as being just like one tiny speck of dust in this huge expanse of the universe. These bodies are just elements following nature. But it's because they come together and they coagulate, they come into this single mass, that we don't see the not-self nature. It's this coming together that obstructs anatta. So what we need to do is bring our minds to calm and peace, collect them together, and then contemplate. When we do this, wisdom can arise. We need to rely on a foundation of morality, and that's the restraints, the collectiveness of our speech and our actions. So today being the Lunar Observance Day, many people have taken the five precepts or the eight precepts. And for the monks, we continue with our um, 227 precepts. This collectiveness, the composure of our body and speech is what makes our actions beautiful. And it means that the meditation that we engage in isn't difficult because we don't have to worry about external things. There's nothing that's aggravating our minds. We can then train ourselves in samadhi. And this is something that we should do every day. We should take it as a continual practice. And as we carry on with this, then there'll be feelings of joy and happiness that come up in the heart. We train ourselves in samadhi through chanting and we listen to the Dhamma. And when we do this frequently and do it more and more frequently, then 
our minds will be able to gather together into a state of calm and peace and joy, fullness of heart will arise at this point. So the Dhamma is that which purifies the heart, which makes it clean. And when the heart is clean, then any doubts that we have over the practice can be alleviated. So listening to the Dhamma can bring about wisdom. And maybe we will gain a clear understanding, perception into the Dhamma as we're listening. We'll be able to see the truth, the nature of physicality and mentality, that it's just anicca, dukkha, anatta, and this is possible. But we need to have this um, calm state of mind in order to be able to do that. When we listen to the Dhamma, we should develop a genuine um, interest and determination to carry on with this practice and to abandon the defilements. There can be an inspiration that arises in the mind to carry on with this practice, to keep going. And when we have this inspiration, then we'll have effort coming up with that as well. So today is one prize, the Lunar Observance Day. And it's a day that we put in special effort into our practice. So the monks, um, many will be going without sleep for the whole night. And at least we should be staying up until midnight or 2 a.m., carry on with the practice until that time. And if we don't gain any peace, any samadhi, at the very least we'll be gaining kanti, we'll be gaining forbearance and endurance. We'll gain the inequalities necessary to push through any obstacles that we encounter. And the mind will in turn gain vigor and energy from this practice. We'll then feel that the normal routine is very easy. We carry on meditating until 10 p.m. and then wake up at 4 a.m. And that's just very casual for us to do this. It's very easy. So we maintain our mindfulness as much as we can. We try to speak little. We'll see that the connection between thoughts arising in the brain and the words flowing out of our mouths can be very short. It happens really quickly. You know, that there are these thoughts going on in the mind and then we just speak, they just come straight out. So we need to restrain the speech and to develop a stillness in our minds. And so there's a gap between thoughts and speech a gap where we're able to have mindfulness and contemplate and ask ourselves whether this is really a good thing to say or not. We need to train in this speaking little into being composed and restrained. As monks, we take up this practice of speaking little, sleeping little, eating little. But what we mean by eating little is there's still fullness. We still feel full. But we eat until five mouthfuls before um, the stomach is full and then we drink water. And that should be just right, just um, in balance way to eat. It's not too much. It's not too little. 
And then when we sit or walk in meditation, the body feels very light and at ease. But when we talk about eating little, um, so it shouldn't be too little, but we should also try and make sure our weight just isn't going up and up. We're just getting more and more fat. Because um, sages or recluses should be skinny. It's up to the cows to be fat. But for monks and sages, we should be skinny. There are some monks who come to ordain and um, they weighed a lot when they came into the robes, maybe over 100 kgs, but slowly they've lost weight. And there's one who's down to 87 kgs now, and he's still trying to eat less and um, lose more weight. And this is a good thing because the body and mind feel light. And also um, there are less illnesses that arise in the body. And it's a suitable uh, physical um, condition for the practice. So we have mindfulness. And when that gives rise to samadhi, we use that to contemplate into the body, seeing it as something that isn't beautiful. The Buddha encouraged or um, told the monks to do this, to, to look into the body. And he made this a compulsory part of the ordination that we get these five kamatanas of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. Seeing the body as not beautiful, what we call asuba. It's natural for us that when we view um, our bodies or the bodies of others through these physical eyes that we have, we'll see them as being something beautiful. And this is a feeling that's deeply embedded in our minds, and it has been for countless lifetimes now. When the light um, hits a physical form, and then that light sends the radiation to our retinas, it'll give rise to an image in our minds. And um, along with this image comes up our sense consciousness. So if there's a light that hits the physical uh, sankara of an animal or of a person, then there'll be this image. And from that image, there'll be a feeling, Vedana, that comes up. And then from Vedana, they'll give rise to a kind of craving and clinging. If we don't like what we see, then we won't want to see it anymore and there'll be aversion and this is one kind of craving and if we do like what we see then we'll want to um, see it again and this is yet another kind of craving so whatever feelings arise whether they be painful um, pleasant or neutral feelings it's natural for these to go on to give rise to clinging and um, then to suffering. And when this happens very frequently, our minds won't be able to calm down and gather together in samadhi. So we need to contemplate what we see, contemplate these bodies of ours, 
and these five external aspects of them, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. The skin is something that covers up and um, abstracts the internal parts of the body. So the external and internal parts, they amount to the 32 parts that the Buddha taught. And on the inside we have the bones, and these bones are just like the frame of a house that these days we make out of steel. So we have this frame and then we use bricks or we use concrete and pour concrete in there. Then we polish the concrete and then paint it. And then it becomes something very beautiful. And just like a hall in a monastery, maybe they painted a gold color and it looks very beautiful, but that's just something external. Really inside there's just steel and concrete there. And it's not something attractive. But if we take those materials and we polish them, we paint them, then we don't see the unattractive things inside. Our bodies are just the same. We have the skin um, that's covering over and we clean the skin and we clothe it or we put robes around it and we think it's something good. We attach to it and think that it's very beautiful and attractive. But is that really the case? With the skin, we have to clean it every day. We have to take a bath. And if we don't do that, then in no long time, the sweat will accumulate. And there will be bacteria gathering on our skin and it will start to smell. Or the bacteria in our mouth, if we don't brush our teeth, then that will send a very pungent smell out. Or we can look at... Um, all of the waste uh, products inside of our bodies as well um, that these, sorry, the, the bacteria feed on. So inside our bodies, there's a huge number of bacteria there. In our intestines, for example, um, or the different organs, there's a huge um, amount of bacteria, many, many kgs. And it's, it's not little, it's a lot. And when someone dies, then that bacteria kicks in and it starts doing its job. It starts eating this body, decaying it. The body then sends out a very strong odor. If we don't um, inject any chemicals uh, into the body, um, then when it decays, it's... Um, a very strong and uh, disgusting smell. So we should contemplate um, into this, into the nature of the body, um, and see that there's all this blood there inside it as well. And if there wasn't blood uh, constantly flowing around the body, then um, it would... Um, develop many problems. We may have to um, amputate or the body may become disabled and unable to move. And that's because of this presence of blood flowing around uh, the entire body. And if we take the skin off, if we peel that off, then what we'll see is blood. Lumpur Cha compared it to a frog that someone has skinned. And without the skin, you can see all the veins there and the blood flowing 
around uh, this, the flesh of this frog. And then it trickles down onto the floor as well. And so if we imagine all of us sitting here, we take our skin off and um, there's blood that flows down onto the floor and our flesh underneath uh, the skin is just red, sending off a very strong smell of raw meat. And it's like this for us and for others as well. Would we be able to take that, sitting with many people around us, um, with the smell of raw blood? And then when the blood is exposed to the air, it starts to um, deteriorate or decay as well, <clears throat> sending out an even stronger smell. You also see that there are many waste products in these bodies. There's a lot of urine, there's a lot of feces that are there and we have to constantly excrete them out every single day. So these bodies can be compared to a cesspit. Um, and when we put food into the body and then that uh, food is uh, used to um, maintain the body, it gets sent around to all the cells through the blood. Um, but that food then starts to decay. We compare these bodies then to being like a cesspit. And also this blood needs to be constantly cleaned as well. And our, our liver does that job of cleaning off the blood as it flows through the body. So as monks, we need to um, look into this, to investigate the nature of these bodies, see them as being something that isn't beautiful. So out of these 32 parts, we can pick up one of those and try to see into the truth of it, ask ourselves whether that one part is really beautiful or not. We look at the external parts of our bodies. We look at the internal parts as well. We can take these teeth, um, for example. And when the teeth are there in our mouths, we see them as being attractive. But if we take our teeth out of our mouth and suddenly they turn into something unattractive, they're also a source of difficulty for us in that um, they can give us much ache and pain. And they're just composed of calcium. And if that calcium um, melts or decays, um, then we see it's just a lump of calcium there. And how can we take that as being me? But really all the teeth in our mouths are just calcium. And so are the bones as well. They're just these elements that have come together. And there are many elements there in our bodies. Um, taking elements in terms of uh, modern day science and chemistry. We have oxygen and there's carbon, there's calcium. There's many different kinds of elements within our bodies and all of these are not self. If our minds aren't peaceful, we won't perceive this. We'll just see it as a self and our vision will be murky. So our mindfulness needs to depend on stability and on the mind being collected in order for our contemplation to give birth to wisdom. And also this comes back as well, the contemplation and this wisdom then firms up our um, samadhi as well.
And then when the mind is in a peaceful state, we contemplate into the body again, giving rise to further wisdom. When the peace of mind is very strong and full, and as we contemplate into the nature of the body, then we'll be able to see it as really being a source of pain, as a nicha, dukkha, anatta, as something that's not beautiful. And when these bodies die, then this um, non-beautiful nature becomes even more apparent. So we carry on contemplating, looking at the body in this way. And as kamatana monks, uh, we need to keep our kamatana with us. And these are the five meditation objects, these five kamatanas that the Buddha gave us of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. It's the weapon that we use to defeat and fight with the defilements, those um, impurities in our minds that lead us to find delight and satisfaction in the body. But these defilements are very sneaky. They come up very quietly because um, they, they convince us that they're really something good and that these bodies are something to be enjoyed. So we need to contemplate and we need to train our minds every single day. And when we do this, then eventually we'll be able to see into the nature of conventions, thus giving rise to liberation. The mind will become empty from attachment. Um, and this can happen temporarily, but just, just a short moment is enough for us to see the Buddha. This is a very good opportunity that we have, so we should use it. Um, to train ourselves. Um, so everyone be intent on doing this on the uh, 4th of August, 2020.